What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmitz. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm finally back. Just, you know, making the transition between jobs and stuff has just made it hard to get in here and record. But as I said, I am back. We've got an absolutely loaded show for you today, talking one of the most disrespected players in the NBA. We're going to talk a little bit of Full Swing, the new Netflix documentary on the PGA Tour, and Live Golf, and all those different types of things. And then we're going to get into NFL offseason quarterback scenarios. Like I said, an absolutely loaded show. Here we go. So over the past couple of days, there's been some slander going on about one of the best players, or a guy who will go down as one of the best players to ever pick up a basketball, a guy who is just really talented, right? He's one of my favorite players to watch in the league, and as soon as I say that, you probably already know who I'm talking about, and that player is Nikola Jokic. The seventh player picked in the NBA All-Star Draft, as people like to point out whenever they bring up this topic. But here's the truth. Nikola Jokic should win the MVP this year. As of right now, obviously, you know, there's 20 games left. But as of today, Nikola Jokic should win the MVP this year, and he is more than deserving of winning back-to-back-to-back MVPs. Now, I do understand that, you know, history makes it seem weird, right? Because players don't win back-to-back-to-back MVPs. LeBron didn't do it. Michael Jordan didn't do it. Uh, I don't believe Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did it. Like, a lot of guys have never done that. And I think it really rubs some people the wrong way how all of a sudden we're going to change this. But it doesn't matter, okay? Because at the end of the day, he's been the best player in the NBA this year. Simple as that, across the board. And after accomplishing this, back-to-back-to-back MVPs, it is very possible that Nikola Jokic will retire as one of the 10 best players ever and quite possibly the best center ever, okay? And look, I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that. That's fine. But here's the thing. Nikola Jokic can score whenever he wants to, okay? He can post up smaller defenders, and he hits these little baby hooks. You see it all the time whenever he and Jamal Murray run the screen and roll. You know, he's obviously the roll guy, and then he catches it, and they switch, and then it's one, two dribbles max, a little baby hook, two points. It's automatic, okay? And then he can take bigs. He can bring them out to the outside, to the perimeter, and he can shoot over the top, okay? And if he wanted to, Nikola Jokic could take 20 shots a game and average 30 points a game, just like Giannis does and just like Luka does. Okay, he could do that easily. But instead, he only takes 15 shots a game, which makes him much more valuable because he scores 25 points a game on only 15 shots. And another reason why he does that is because he's one of the best passers of the basketball ever. Okay, the best passing center ever. Okay, and his ability to make to get his teammates involved is just incredible. Okay, one of people's favorite things to point out about former MVP LeBron James is just how much better he made the players around him. And, like, does Nikola Jokic not do that? Okay, you, you can make an argument that Nikola Jokic improves the players around him more than any other player in the league right now. How is that not valuable? Okay, let's, let's take a guy like Aaron Gordon, who since joining the Nuggets is averaging a career high in points and field goal percentage because Nikola Jokic is on his team and he gets him open shots consistently and consistently finds him. Okay, let's take a guy in, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's played with LeBron James and other stars. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is having the best shooting year of his career because Jokic is a master at finding guys when they're open. Simple as that. Bruce Brown, a guy who played with the Nets and Kevin Durant last year, another 
former MVP and Kevin Durant, Bruce Brown is averaging a career high in points, and it's because he's playing with Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic makes the players around him better offensively. Simple as that. Part of why Jamal Murray is as great as he is is because Nikola Jokic makes the players around him better. It's simple as that. Okay, the ability to elevate both role players and stars is extremely valuable, and that's ultimately what the reward is. It is about value and how valuable you are, okay? The other thing that people like to bring up about Nikola Jokic whenever we're talking about potentially winning the MVP and things along that line is, well, you know, the postseason success isn't there. So what? We gave Russell Westbrook an MVP, even though he doesn't consistently perform in the playoffs. Okay, and look, the, the president has been set. Nikola Jokic is averaging a, a triple-double this year. If you average a triple-double, you are going to win the MVP. Based on previous voting years, like, that's just that's just the way that it is. And if he averages a triple-double through the entire season, I don't know how you can't give it to him. I don't. Moving on, this is another thing that people love to kind of throw out in the Nikola Jokic argument. It's this, but Jonathan, Nikola Jokic doesn't play defense, Jonathan, Nikola Jokic defensively just isn't very good, which isn't true, he's actually improved a lot, he's you know, a very average to above average defender now, but here's the thing, who cares, okay, when you bring up someone's defense in an NBA argument, it means you know that they're superior offensively compared to whoever you're talking about, okay, and when it comes to MVP voting, don't, don't bring defense into it, defense has never mattered, it hasn't. Okay, because if defense really did matter whenever we were talking about most valuable player, then guys like Dwight Howard in his 2010 to 2011 season, really any time from 2009 to 2012, he would have won an MVP, but he didn't. You know why? Because it's an offensive award, because it's an offensive league. Okay, Gary Payton, 95 to 96, wins Defensive Player of the Year, averages 20 points a game, I believe somewhere around six or seven assists, has a really, really good year. But guess what? He didn't win the MVP. You know why? Because he only averaged 20 points a game. And at the end of the day, this reward is about offense, not defense. And finally, David Robinson in 1993 to 1994 didn't win the MVP, even though he was the best defender in the league that year, averaged 30 points a game. You know why? Because at the end of the day, defense doesn't matter. It doesn't. Okay, even when we make our list of the greatest players of all time, Usually, we include very little defense. Okay, that's just how it is. Whenever you talk about LeBron James, the first words out of your mouth aren't his ability to play defense and defend the one through the five. It's not. The first thing you start talking about are his, are his assist numbers, how well he scores the basketball, how he's the all-time leading scorer, so on and so forth. When you talk about Michael Jordan, the first words out of your mouth are how he's won you know, 11 scoring titles, Right? It's, it's not about how he won a Defensive Player of the Year award as a guard. It's about his offensive ability. Because at the end of the day, basketball is an offensive sport. So just stop acting like defense matters when it comes to these awards because it never has. It never has. And it never will. Because basketball is an offensive sport. And MVP voters don't care about defense, and they shouldn't. Because the way that people make their greatest of all time lists, the way that we grade players on a scale now, is entirely based on offense, okay? Like, if Giannis wasn't as good offensively as he is today, then guess what? We wouldn't consider him the best player in the world, even though defensively he is the best defender in the world. Because defense is not that big of a deal when we're talking about how good of a basketball player guys are. 
Simple as that. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into NFL scenarios. But, yeah, I just had to step out and, and defend my guy Jokic here real quick, a guy who 100% should win the MVP this year. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. going to get into some NFL quarterback scenarios. Gonna There's really only three guys that I think people are interested in. By three, it's really only two. We're going to start with Derek Carr. Well, I guess there's really four. It's okay. Here we go. We're going to start with Derek Carr. I like Derek Carr. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback who hasn't had any stability in his entire career. And if you gave him a consistent head coach... I think that he can be a really good quarterback for you. Okay, we saw it with John Gruden. He, he was, you know, he was coached by Gruden for like three years, and every year he got better because he was able to familiarize himself with an offensive with an offensive system, and have consistent feedback on things that he needed to work on. Have consistent coaching in terms of knowing what was going to come next, and that's been taken away from him. And he hasn't played like he was bad this year because of that. And I think that if you did give him consistent head coaching in a consistent offensive system, I think he would be in a very similar tier as to guys like Jimmy G and oh um, Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins, right? You know, he'd be at the top end of that tier. Okay, a guy who can get you to a Super Bowl, probably can't win you one like Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts or anybody like that, but he would be more than capable of getting you there if you surrounded him with the proper help, right? And here's where I think he ends up. I think he ends up in New York. I don't know if he's going to be playing for the Giants or the Jets, though. I think he's going to end up in one of those two places. I think that the Jets are really going to make a push to go and sign Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if that'll happen or not. If it does happen, obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers will be a Jet. And if not, then I think Derek Carr will be a Jet because he's, you know, a good quarterback and the Jets know that they have a good roster. And they need a guy who can come in and just be consistent because obviously that Jets quarterback room, you know, for the past decade has been anything but consistent. I know guys like Mike White, Zach Wilson's okay. I know he's got a lot of talent, but the Jets need a grown-up in the room, and Derek Carr is definitely capable of doing that. Now, looking, you know, across the way over at the Giants, Daniel Jones apparently wants $45 million a year from the Giants, which is absurd. It's $5 million less a year than Patrick Mahomes. They're nowhere near the same level of quarterback, obviously. And they could franchise tag him, but you know I think that's a last resort thing. You know, if they feel like they can't get Carr, which I don't know why Derek Carr wouldn't want to go and play for a guy like Brian Dable. I don't know why Brian Dable wouldn't want a guy like Derek Carr to be his quarterback, right? Because that's a really consistent option at quarterback. They do have until March 7th to franchise tag Daniel Jones. We'll see what they wind up doing. But I really love the idea of Derek Carr ending up in either, you know, with the New York Jets or with the New York Giants. New York Giants, I think I would prefer just because they do have Brian Dable, one of the best offensive head coaches in the league. And yes, I think we can say that even after only one year. I think it's stupid if we have to wait around to acknowledge the greatness that is Brian Dable after seeing all that he's done with Josh Allen and then turning Daniel Jones into a quarterback that thinks he's worth $45 million a year. That's how good of a coach. Brian Dable is. Okay, he has made Daniel Jones delusional as to how good of a quarterback he is, and it's it's incredible. I can't believe Daniel Jones asked for $45 million a year. That's absolutely absurd. Aaron Rodgers, who knows what he's doing? He might retire. He might just go back to Green Bay. He, who knows? I don't even want to talk about it. 
you know, I talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's going to do this all offseason just, just for the attention. So, moving on from Aaron Rodgers, on to the ultimate prize of this offseason, the biggest fish in this lake of quarterbacks, so to speak. That is Lamar Jackson. He both wants and deserves a lot of money. Okay, I don't see how the Ravens can avoid not paying him for multiple reasons. First of all, if they don't do it, Lamar Jackson is going to go off somewhere else and beat the Ravens over and over and over again, and they know this. On top of that, he's won an MVP in a Ravens uniform. I don't know how you let a former MVP walk away from your franchise. And finally, the entire makeup of that Baltimore Ravens team is built around Lamar Jackson and his skill set. And there's no other quarterback available to fit into that system. There isn't. Okay, And if they don't resign Lamar, then they not only have to find a new quarterback, they have to rebuild and revamp that entire roster to, you know, to complement whoever they bring in to play quarterback next. You know, I think that the Ravens eventually bite the bullet and re-sign him for major money. Maybe they franchise tag him, but there are rumors that if he's franchise tagged, he just won't play, which I wouldn't blame him at all, right? Like, this is a guy who has won an MVP, who's won a lot of games, okay? Like, he doesn't lose football games. He doesn't. He doesn't, okay? I know that, you know, they blew some double-digit leads this year, but that's less on your offense, and that's much more on your defense and Marlon Humphrey and those guys, right? And they already paid Roquan Smith big money to be their middle linebacker of the future. If you can invest that type of money into your defense, how can you not invest that type of money, even more money, into your offense, into the cornerstone of your franchise? A guy who has proven that he can beat the Bengals, he can beat the Steelers, and he can beat the Browns, who all three have good quarterbacks now because I think Kenny Pickett is going to be a really good option in Pittsburgh. Obviously, we know what Joe Burrow is. And if Deshaun Watson goes back to the form that he was in in Houston, it is an absolute must for the Baltimore Ravens to have an elite presence at quarterback. And Lamar Jackson is exactly that. I I don't know how they avoid not, you know, re-signing him, you know, to a six-year deal or five-year deal or however long they can make it. It would be a major mistake if they did not do that, and they know that in their heart of hearts. Okay, the Ravens, that's a very smart franchise who you know spends money wisely and holds on to talent. They know. They know how good Lamar Jackson is, and ultimately, like that's why, as I just said, they will bite the bullet and they will resign Lamar Jackson for major, major money that man's about to get paid. We're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to... We're introducing a new segment. We're going to call it TV Corner, you know, as... Football season dies down. There tends to be a little bit less to talk about. So we're going to talk about movies and TV shows because those are things that I enjoy. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with some TV Corner. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmitz, the debut of TV Corner. I'm really excited to do this. Um, I think it'll just be a nice little way to switch up the pod, especially in the offseason of football, you know, when things slow down a little bit. So if you haven't watched it yet, turn it off. Well, no, don't. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. Um... There shouldn't be too, too many spoilers here on Full Swing. This is really just an advertisement for you to go and watch it, whether you like golf or not. Just a heads up, I know that we're doing TV Corner on Outer Banks, and that comes out tomorrow. We're going to do a TV Corner on the new Bill Russell doc, things like that. We're going to still try and stay in the sports movie slash TV show slash documentary realm, 
But at the same time, we will venture outside of that to check out things like Outer Banks that I know people really enjoy. So, Full Swing, a docuseries on Netflix about golf, and it's awesome. Okay, It focuses in on the PGA Tour last year. There's a lot of stuff in there on Live as well, and how the threat of the Live Golf Tour has now forced the PGA to change a lot of what it does in terms of like how much money they give out and different structuring and things like that. It's fascinating. It is very, very well done. If you're like me and you're just kind of like a casual golfer, you know, like if a buddy hits you up and is like, hey, like, do you want to go play nine? You're like, yeah, that could be fun. And then you get four holes in and you get really, really upset because you're already, you know, 12 over par or whatever it is. You've triple bogeyed every hole. I mean, yeah. So if you're like me, then I think you'll really enjoy it. If you're casual in that fact, maybe you just pay attention to the Masters because it is the Super Bowl of golf, right? So, if like I said, ca- casual golfers, this is perfect for y'all. If you're like a super serious golfer, you follow every tournament, then you'll know a lot of the information that the docuseries rep- or presents in terms of who leaves for the Live Tour, who wins these different Opens and things like that. So because of that, you probably won't enjoy it as much because you know what's going to happen. But at the same time, a lot of the one-on-one sit-down talks and interviews with the various golfers are really interesting. You really get a peek behind the curtain as to how their lives are when they're not playing golf as well, which is really cool. It's always interesting to see how these athletes live outside of their sports. So they do a really good job of just the storytelling of how these guys got into golf and you know how they take care of their families while playing golf all the time and how they kind of balance all these different things. And it's really, really well done. They talk a lot about the mutual respect that they have for different guys because winning on the PGA Tour is really, really hard. It's a very difficult thing to do. And so there's this really interesting dynamic of you're pulling for your friends, but at the same time you want to rip their throat out and beat them. Right? So it's very intriguing, very fascinating. Uh, I highly suggest it to a lot of people. The way that they show the golf tournaments and the Opens is in a really similar fashion to how they show games from Last Chance U series. Uh, Chad Mum is the producer. He's been pushing for a show like this for a while. Uh, the F1 show that Netflix is doing really kind of opened up you know, the gateway for this to happen. And, man, they, they knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I'm trying not to give away any spoilers. Um, but if you've seen it, uh, go ahead and tweet at me at Twitter. Um, tweet at me on Twitter at jschmidt underscore four and I will gladly talk to you about it because it's so so well done Um, you know getting to see these athletes personalities in a sport that doesn't really have a lot of personality I think is something that's just really good for golf in general so once again it's very well done I'd recommend it to any sports fan not just golf fans go watch it it's on Netflix it's absolutely incredible so that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join in and listen. I'm back officially. Uh, the upload schedule may look a little bit different depending on when I'm free, but still hoping to do at least two shows a week. Um, it's going to be really good. So once again, this has been Shooting the Schmidt, Jonathan Smith. I will talk to you all again at some point this week. <laughs>